So in the New Testament, if you were to, to open, starting in Matthew, and just flip through, especially the Gospels, um, one of the themes that you'll kind of see throughout that, that, pas- that passage um, is that there's, some, there's a little bit of confusion about who Jesus is. Um, you know, the Pharisees um, believed he had a, a demon in him, and we see that in Matthew 12. In, in Mark 3, we, we see that Jesus' family actually uh, believes that he was kind of out of his mind. And, there, and there's just this constant confusion. And, and, and then Jesus asks his disciples in Matthew 16, um, kind of, what's the word on the street? Um, what are they saying about who I am and who do you believe that I am? And that's where we read that, that Jesus profess or, or Peter professes Jesus as Lord. Um, but I don't think we can really give Peter full credit for that. Um, I don't think it's a full star on his chart when a few verses later, Jesus is proclaiming his death and resurrection and Peter pulls him aside to rebuke him. So I don't think you can kind of, you know, if, if that's the case, you, you don't get the full scholarship. You, you don't get to, to just claim that and, and, then, and then call Jesus out on, on what's already going to happen. And so there's just this constant confusion, even in Peter going, man, Lord, I will follow you. I believe in you. Don't die on me though, you know? And he doesn't, he doesn't fully get it. He doesn't fully understand what Jesus really came to show up and do. And so there's this constant confusion that we see in, in the New Testament. Who is Jesus? What is he here to do? Some people thought he was um, a reincarnated version of, um, of uh, some of the prophets. They thought that he was this guy just randomly showing up and could be saying some cool things, but also doing some damage. And what's interesting is we read in the, in the, in the New Testament is the only group that gets it right is the demons. And the demons are, you know, we even see in, in, a, in Matthew 8 that, that Jesus has this encounter with some demons. Um, it's kind of the, the famous demon in the pig story, you know. And, um, and the demons actually respond, O son of God, have you come to torment us before the time? And so they actually understood what was going on with Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. But in Jesus' culture, in his ministry, there was great confusion. And the problem with this was that people then were segregated. They had different views on who Jesus was. Even after the gospels, as you can read in Acts, you can read throughout Paul's letters, there's confusion and division and different people are saying, no, it's just all about Christ and here's what he came to do. And others are saying, no, there's a different idea and you also gotta apply this to it. And there was just constant confusion. And so if you imagine for you, for you and I that this is the kind of confusion that is taking place among human beings in the New Testament, imagine how much more it's confusing today. Imagine how much more for you and I it's confusing on how we define Christianity and, and how people set and forth their beliefs somewhat not according to the Bible. And so we see this confusion that people have about Jesus, and it's not really anymore about following Jesus and who he really was, but questioning this idea of Jesus and then following the concept according to how we believe it. And so today, if you and I were to encounter people, we meet all types of Christians. And in those types, they're not positive types. We kind of meet some people um, that are Christians because they're a good person. 
Um, they don't have to be in, involved. They have not um, uh, confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. You know, they, they believe there's a higher power. And of course, they're a Christian because they, they clicked that on Facebook. And also, they're a good person. Um, some people would say they're a Christian based on um, things they don't do. Well, I don't swear, I don't uh, do those type of, of sin struggle issues that this group of people does. Therefore, I am a Christian and that's how I identify with this guy we call Christ. And for others, it's, it's because they do certain things. So they're kind of more following the law and kind of categorized, uh, we could categorize these guys with the Pharisees. And, and often these are the types of people that say they're Christians. And often in the American church, people are Christians because they go to church. That just by coming here on a Monday night or on a Sunday morning, that to us means we are a Christian. But can I clarify something for you for a moment? Going to church no more makes you a Christian than going to a bank makes you an account holder, Okay. This is something that we need to begin to clarify. And it doesn't mean aligning with a group of, of, of people that are saying, this is what we believe, this is how we do things, this is how we don't do things, but it means aligning ourselves fully with Christ. And if you, if you were to go out from here and maybe go to a popular place like a mall um, where you find a lot of young adults, um, teenagers and, and, and young Young people, I think if we were to, to do a poll on what does it mean to be a Christian, each and every person would have a different perspective on what that looks like. Each and every one of us, and, and I think, I believe what we would find is that we know a lot about Jesus, but we don't actually and personally know Jesus. And that is the confusion that continued to go on in the early church. That is the confusion that we see throughout scripture that Jesus is continuing to press, profess who he is and there's just constant confusion. And people are approaching from different perspectives. And so as the, as the writers begin to write each and every book, they, they write with this core theme that it's not just about identifying with Christ, but it's about following Christ. And they, they clarify who Christ is. And so we're going to read 1 John 1, and we're going to read the, just five verses. And John, being also the writer of the Gospel of John, he kind of repeats himself from the first John when he says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, in the beginning was the Word. Um, and, and basically, he begins to clarify this in 1 John. And just remind the believers in Ephesus as he's writing to them, this is, this is it. Remember, the word became flesh. We follow Jesus Christ. He died for our sin. And after three days, he was resurrected. And so he's clarifying this for him. He's clarifying it and, and he's giving them instruction on how they should walk as believers in Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna read this Instruction, and my hope is that we would find some application in this. That we would not just read this and go, that's a great, relevant topic for the church in Ephesus thousands of years ago. But I believe that the Bible is the inerrant word that speaks truth to today. And that is a core, fundamental piece of what it means to be a Bible-believing 
Christian, as a follower of Christ. And so as we read this word, as we read these five verses, we're just gonna read through and see what are some of the applicable pieces for us today. So starting in in verse five, we're gonna start reading. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, from him being Jesus, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the first thing that we can really learn from from what John is writing to the believers in Ephesus is to walk in light. And and John clarifies that there is there is a difference that, that to walk in light means we are not walking in darkness. And light has overcome darkness. And the two biggest differences as we see in Scripture is Scripture uses that analogy often of walking in light. Walking in, in, in light and in darkness. Walking in darkness means that we have the desires of the world and we're void of Christ. And to be walking in light means our desires are for God and we are void of ourselves. And so we see these two core differences. To walk in light is to, is to walk in Christ and have desires for God. And, and to walk in darkness means to have desires of the world. But two, we, we see that Paul clarifies for the Romans that we are, we are called to be in the world, but not of it. And I think sometimes we tend to miss kind of interpret, misuse that, that, that verse. So let me kind of try to break it down to the best of my homeschooler ability um, of how this plays out in our daily lives, okay? Um, a non-believer and a believer can drink alcohol and enjoy it. This, is, uh, this feels fun to me. Um, food. And, and I'm talking about good food. I'm not talking about like your McDonald's that you ate on the way here food. I'm talking about like a good steak, okay? Um, good food, a good salad for you vegans. We're neutral, okay, in that, okay. Um, good food, um, a believer and a non-believer can enjoy that. Sex. <laughs> a non-believer and a believer can enjoy that. Here is the difference. A non-believer enjoys that fully at the core of physical. There is nothing that goes beyond that. They eat that meal and it is good. They thank the cook and they leave. They have sexual intercourse and there is a physical release for, for both of them and they leave and there's nothing from that. And, and what kind of stirs up in that, especially with, with sex, is, is there's kind of this sense of I'm missing something and I'm kind of more tearing pieces apart than putting a bigger picture together. 
So that is for the non-believer. And that is why the scripture clarifies that walking in those things in darkness is having the desires for the world. But here's what's beautiful about walking in light with God. Because when your desire is for God, that means you view all of these things under the umbrella of God's desire. So that means that a, a man can drink a good alcoholic beverage and not overdo it. And in the midst of that beverage, enjoy it and say, thank you, God, that is good. He can eat a steak, or as I like to do and blend the two together, is put some whiskey over the steak and then grill it. So blending the two together. There's a cooking tip as well. That's free. Um, And so this concept for us means that we then eat this food, food and say, thank you, God, for your new covenant, which means we can eat this animal and it's okay. And then we eat that and say, it is good. And then the married man goes to bed with his wife and enjoys intimacy with her the husband and and the wife enjoying intimacy together. And the desire is not for themselves, so they enjoy out of wedlock, they enjoy uh, terrible food, excessive amounts of alcohol, but it means that when we walk in light and our desires are for God, that means everything we do, we do it for the glory of God. And if it doesn't glorify God, we do not do it. And that's what Paul is explaining when he's telling the Romans that that to offer up their bodies as a living sacrifice is actually worship. So actually, when you you are enjoying that meal and and you are not stuffing your face and, and, and turning that into gluttony, or if you're enjoying an alcoholic beverage and not turning that into drunkenness, or you are having sex with your husband or your wife, as the Bible calls it, beautiful, then that is able to be an act of worship. And so through that, we see that it is about the desires of God. And it's offering our bodies and saying, the pleasure that I feel, the restraint that I feel, I do that for the glory of God. And so when we see that, that Paul sets up for the Romans in Romans 11, in the very last verse, verse 36, He clarifies why you should give your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he says, for from him and through him and to him. That's a lot of hymns, okay? So for him and through him and to him are all things. Not some things, all things. To him be glory forever, amen. And so for you and I to walk in light means we don't act over here and dabble in darkness. It means that to walk in light, we are fully aligning ourselves with the desires of God. And that's why Paul says in Romans in the the 12th chapter, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be caught up in the desires of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so maybe for you, you're going, I've, I've been able to enjoy these things, but now I, now I don't feel like I can. Now I, now I feel like 
Maybe, maybe I don't agree with you. Alcohol is something that, that I don't agree with. I, I don't agree that we can enjoy food and call that worship. Let's, let's stop for a second and ask ourselves, why are we consuming those things? Are we desiring to, to stuff our faces with things that, that we shouldn't? Are we desiring to drink alcohol to, to numb something? to fit in with the crowd because we are too afraid to not fit in with the crowd, to have sex because we just can't control ourselves so far be it from us to stop the body that God created. Here's what I think we need to understand, that if we go back to Romans 11, verse 36, and when it says, for him and through him and and to him are all things to him be glory forever, amen. If it is not to the glory of God, then don't. If it is not to the glory of God, if you cannot allow yourself to be able to do something with glorifying God in the whole midst of it, then you need to not be in that moment. Even if that means a sip of alcohol, even if that means a song that comes on the radio and you're going, I need to not listen to this and everybody else is going, it's not that big of a deal. I believe that what we create in that moment is shadows. And I don't mean to be hyper-spiritual. I mean to be incredibly intentional. And so what I want you to hear is that when we allow those things in while feeling conviction, we're allowing shadows to rule our life and we don't live in light. We live in a shadowed version and that does not illuminate to the world. And so it is incredibly important for you and I to align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, with, with, with God, and, and with the convictions that come from him. Not guilt, conviction. Because guilt is from, from, from ourselves, that's from the flesh. Conviction is the sense that there needs to be repentance. So I, I can't spend too much more time on that. I want to, but I, I, we have so much more to, to get to. But I just think that is really important for us to remember. That, that if it is not able to be to the glory of God, then do not do it. And are you going to struggle in that? Yes. Yes, you are. Because you are human. I mean, can we just level the playing field for a second and, and admit All of you, including myself, there is no separation. We would make crummy gods. Okay? So the the problem that we do with with this whole concept, I'm going to rant for a little bit uh, more because I feel so... Okay, here we go. So my point in this is that, for example, if, if I feel that, that, that for, for my wife, Shauna, it's okay to have a glass of wine, but for me, that, that causes me to indulge in so much more than just being able to, to, to glorify God in that and, and both of us in, in good conversation in the midst of that, then I need to not. But if I hold her accountable to my own conviction, I am trying to make her some form of God. I'm trying to rely on her, make her shift to my own conviction. And so what I want you to hear in the sense that all of you would make crummy gods is do not try to master this. Be transformed by it. All of us together, as we walk out from here, are going to have different experiences. We're going to have different interactions. And also, we're going to have different temptations and different desires. So are you going to struggle with that? Yes. 
Yes, you are going to struggle with all of these things and more. But does that mean you failed God and you're disqualified? No. No. It does not mean that in the midst of your struggle, in those moments where you choose this and you choose the world above choosing God, that does not mean that you are disqualified. You and I can go round and round, but, but the end piece is that it matters all about the heart. And a big piece of the heart as, a psalman, as the psalmist declares is that it's, it's about the transformation. It's about that transformation of the heart. So walking in light is the process of transformation in your life. Walking in light is the process of transformation in your life. And so as you and I are all in process, and I believe that you desire greatly to, to desire God, to walk in light. And maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you are content with, with the, the relationship with you, the, the relationship you have with God being on Facebook and that's the only place that it is. Maybe if some of you are, are okay with that, then I, I, I am continuing to pray about that. May I believe though that, that, that all of you desire to walk in light with God. And is it difficult? Yes. But I think we need to ask ourselves in the midst of that struggle, rather than being overwhelmed and giving up, is are there shadows in my life that are pulling me away from walking in light? I don't think that we're supposed to just give up because this is a struggle. I think we are supposed to struggle well in this. Are there shadows in my life that are causing me to not be able to walk in light? I mean, those things could be, could be anything. They could be your pride getting in the way. And because of your pride, you're not fully admitting, admitting that this is a bigger struggle than you can even imagine. Maybe for you, it's regret, and you keep holding on to that and dragging it behind you as your own shadow, and you've just taken that on and, and gone, my, my shame and my regret is my shadow, and I am someone who is a struggler and, and not in a good way. And whatever that is for you, ask yourself that question. Are there shadows in my life that are causing me to not be able to walk in light? So the second thing that we see from, from John's portion in verse seven is that he says, walk in fellowship, that we have fellowship with one another. But I think one of the things as we talk on these core themes of, of walking in darkness and walking in light is that any of us know that when we feel shame or we feel regret, the, the very first things to go in our fellowship is our personal time with God and good Christian fellowship. Now let me, let me clarify that for you for a second. Good Christian fellowship does not mean that it's a bunch of you Christians getting together. Because you can get together and do very unchristian things. I mean, we, we, could, we, could, we could gather together as a Christian fellowship group and because we are lacking in our personal time with God, we're lacking in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we're talking more about what we hate than, than more about how we need to love. And in that, we're doing unchristian things. So when I say good Christian fellowship, I am intentionally writing good Christian fellowship. 
that for you and I, that means fellowship among believers, among mature believers is all about building each other up. Even if you are in disagreement with one another, even if, even if someone is absolutely choosing to live in sin and there is a group of believers gathering and they are along for the ride, fellowship among believers is all about building each other up. Does it mean we're passive? Hell no, that's stupid. Like, I, I don't know why, but for some reason, we're the generation that's so enraged by someone's doctrinal mess up or, or someone's theological view, and we'll fight that. We'll fight that. If you, you know, if you have a view that you're just on for that, we will fight that. But when it comes to calling out our brother that we live so close to, it's not me. It's not my job. That's too awkward. And so we'll get awkward enough to shame a, a son or daughter of Christ at, at the desire of being full of pride and looking really good because we know our Bible. But rarely will we call out someone because they don't even feel the right to open the Bible. And so we're, we're so full of just typical Christian fellowship and it's not good. It's not good. And I think for you and I, what we need to remember is, is what fellowship was like before Christ. And this is what Paul lays out for the Ephesians. In chapter two, he talks about this in the first five verses. And I love this because, because whereas you and I have always known fellowship, maybe some of you are new, but you've, you've kind of experienced church and you, and you know it's messy. If you don't know that yet, just come back next week. Um, and, and you'll learn really quick because it's broken people desiring to love broken people. And in the midst of brokenness, something's bound to remain broken. Okay, so, so if, if you think that you found the perfect group and all 10 didn't work, just give us time and we'll teach you why the 12th group will be the next one for you. you know? and, and so this, this concept, I think what we need to understand is that fellowship did not exist before Christ. And so Christian fellowship begins with the understanding of who Christ is and what he did. And so in Ephesians 2, the first five verses, Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, here's what I find interesting is that Paul says, uh, you. He calls out the individual, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in, in which you once walked. But then he shifts and begins to call out the plural. And he says, you were once dead. And, and now some th here's some things about you guys as a group. And he says, following the the course of this world, so desiring the things of the world, following the prince of, pow of the power of the air, being Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the, pa and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and where by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Here's where it gets really beautiful in verse four. But God being rich in mercy. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't really like chocolate. I know this is a really weird place to pause. I don't really like chocolate because of the fact that, you know, like I usually eat dark chocolate, but if I eat too much chocolate, it's just rich and it's overwhelming. Think of that concept that God being rich in mercy 
that that mercy that God has just lavished upon us is just overwhelming. It's sweet. It is good. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And so we see that, that through Christ, the fellowship that you and I have is not just our attendance on a Monday night or a Sunday morning or a group night or sometime when we gather over coffee and, and, and talk about world problems or, or Facebook or whatever, but, but really that our fellowship is all about what Christ has already done. And that means there is unity and he's broken down the walls of hostility. And so fellowship among believers for you and I should always be about two things. It should always be about two things, grace and growth. And in that order, there's no like, hey, let's go out from here and let's figure out, you know, like we'll do this order and maybe right now we can do growth and then we'll do grace. It needs to be grace and growth. And what that means for you and I is that as we gather in, in this fellowship, all of us are coming from, from different parts of our journey. And there are mature believers. There are some awesome mature believers in this group. And there are some awesome immature believers in this group. And some of them are you, okay? So think about that for a second. And here's what we need to understand, whether you are a mature believer, and I'm, I'm not just talking how long you went to school to study the Bible or um, how many books you can recite when we're done here, but I mean the maturity that shows in your life that you walk in light. That you, as you go out from, from here, are desiring things of God, not things of the world. And so why that begins with, with grace and growth is because among mature believers, there are always immature believers. And that's good. That's good because, because there's always this learning process. That's the importance of discipleship. You don't get a group of mature believers together and an immature group of believers, and from a distance, they watch how the mature believers are doing things. They gather them together in the midst of grace so that they may grow. And so as you come on a Monday night, my encouragement to you from this point on is that you do not just come and, and just kind of get frustrated and you begin to tolerate with people. But in your, in your tolerance, maybe pray about that because that's, that's sin, just so you know. Um, but, but also that you would know that their immaturity can turn to maturity by the fellowship of the believers. That, that Christ has called us together to walk in maturity together. That, that remember, all of us were teenagers. All of us are still kind of teenagers. You know, you got your tweens, you got your teens, and we're something in there, you know, and I don't know what you'd call it, but in, within the millennial generation, we're still immature. You know, they say adulthood isn't really formed until 25 to 28. And so a lot of you are still not in a mature age. And so in that perspective, you and I need to gather together with great intention that we wouldn't just gather and go, well, this group seems more appealing because this group of people is not awkward. Or this group of people doesn't have all those questions that just kind of go in a circle. You know, when you start to talk about the Trinity and man, how do we dissect that? I bet you there was a Trinity within the dinosaurs. 
you know, and like these immature questions come up or whatever, you know, um, and in the midst of that, God calls us to maturely be in fellowship with one another. Because remember, as Paul says, you were once dead. You were dead in, in, in the trespasses of your sins in, in which you once walked, but that's not the way you walk anymore. And so as we walk in fellowship, the third point as we close tonight is we need to know that we need, we need to walk in confession. And, and often we, we have this twisted view of confession, um, especially when it comes to, to Hollywood. Because there's always that point in that movie where that guy just bears his soul and it's the, it's the turning point of the movie and he's in the confessional booth, you know, and no one's there and he realized he just needed self-enlightenment and then he was free from stuff. That's not confession, okay? So as, as, as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, for you and I, what we need to see is that, that confession is not a check-in with, with a person, a pastor, or a priest to let them know what's been going on in your sinning, Okay? So, so guys, when you are struggling with lust, do not call another guy after you've rubbed a chub, okay? It's time to call them before you get that far. Ladies, before you get to the point where you segregate yourself from other women because you are so insecure about their insecurity that comes back to your insecurity about all the insecurity within there, talk with one another. Seek God in that because that is not confession for us to dabble in all of this struggle, be back and forth in light and darkness, and then try to deal with it when the biggest mess has come before us. That is not confession. Confession is a repentant heart transformed before the Lord and shared among other believers for encouragement and healing. Remember, James clarifies this. We're not asking each other for forgiveness. If you come to me and ask me for forgiveness for your sin, I make a crummy God. We already talked about this. Like, I'm just gonna repeat that from now on. Bro, I make a crummy God. Bro, I make a a crummy God. I'm not gonna be able to help you with that peace. You have to seek God with a repentant heart transformed before the Lord. And together, we, we, in confession, we sit with one another for encouragement and healing. That James says, gather together, lay hands on one another, that you may be healed, not that you may be forgiven. And so what we do is we, we skew this version of, of confession. That in walking in light, we think that it's, it's a five-step program and once we've completed it, then we're in full light and we're good. And then we kind of keep on sinning and we try to figure out grace, but, but don't quite have it. And Paul tells the Romans in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And he he puts an exclamation point here. So I believe that he is very loudly saying by no means, let's not do this. This is an issue. Let's not go there. Okay, so exclamation point, that's not the resolution. Okay, so as in verse two, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we still live in that sin? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul's all about the verse fours. He just got some good meat in verse fours. 
So he says here, he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That we might walk in newness of life. If you've ever wondered what the point of baptism is and you have not been baptized yet, I'm not gonna call you out and make you feel weird or, or make you think that that's a sin that you haven't been baptized yet, but I believe you're missing something from your walk. Because baptism is an incredible public statement of saying, I'm dying to myself. I'm gonna walk in light, in this newness of life. And I'm gonna seek the desires of God rather than my own desires. But the problem is for you and I, when we look at this, when we look at walking in light, walking in fellowship and walking in confession is that we still hold on to things in our flesh. We still are holding on to something, whether it be pride, whether it be regret, shame, questions, fear. We are holding on so tightly. And so my question for you as we close is, what are you holding on to that is keeping you from walking in light? Let's pray.